0: Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. It's designed to help you take your next step with Jesus. And if you haven't been able to make it to one of our campuses and participate in the time of giving, you could do so online through our website or by texting to give so that you can continue to participate in the mission that God has given us. We hope that God speaks to you through this sermon. Hey, everybody. It's a great uh, summer Sunday. I'm glad you're in church, uh, and I hope you're enjoying this summer series. As each weekend, we've been unpacking, uh, asking the question, uh, what is God really like? So we've been digging into our Bibles uh, to find answers that will help us understand his character, his personality, um, everything about him. We want to know directly from Scripture who God is, uh, replacing any misconceptions that we may have uh, developed about him. And it's so important uh, that we get to know him for who he says he is instead of who people have made him out to be. And what we've been seeing so far in this series is that he's so much bigger and uh, so much better than, uh, than any God we could have come up with. When we get a glimpse of the real him, uh, we see just how incredible... Um, he is. He's like no one else. Uh, we have nothing to compare him to, so we just talk about him uh, as uh, the unique God, the creator of the universe, and the one who loves us, our heavenly Father. And today we're going to sit with the, the idea that God is not angry with us. Um, God's a lot of things. The one thing he's not, he's not mad at you. Uh, and this is an ex- extremely important thing for all of us to know. And for us to communicate to others uh, that God's true nature is patience and kindness and mercy and long-suffering. Uh, he is unlike any other of these so-called gods in that he doesn't uh, have a temper. Uh, he's, he, he, he's way more patient than we would ever be uh, in his position. And we all need to hear this because people do often feel like that God is uh, mad at them. And when they feel like that God is mad at them, they they try to keep their distance from him. And that's exactly the opposite of what he wants. Uh, And maybe, you know, for whatever reason, maybe they put themselves in God's shoes and say, well, if I was him, I'd be mad. I'd be mad at how people are treating each other. I'd be mad at what they've done to planet Earth. Uh, Or maybe uh, they grew up under the fist of an angry father who would fly off the handle. And so when they hear the word Heavenly Father, they just naturally uh, associate that word with someone who's, who's angry and that you need to uh, avoid. Or maybe God's patience and mercy sounds good to be true. Uh, deep down, we all know that we have tested him, and many of us wonder uh, when, not if, uh, he's going to um, give us what we deserve, Unfortunately, many of us think that God's watching our every move so that he can uh, wait for us to screw up big time, and then he can, it can, he can give us a, a real good heavenly swat. Uh, it's like this subconscious nagging cloud, this, you know, basically, God's keeping track of everything I'm doing, and when my, da- my tally gets high enough, uh, I, better, I better look out. And uh, as I say things like that, it reminds me of when I was a boy, uh, I've been told I was an obnoxious little brat. Uh, which is hard for me to believe because I look in the mirror and I see nothing but goodness. Uh, But uh, I had two sisters and uh, nothing drove them more crazy than when my parents would pile us into the Rambler uh, for a long driving vacation. uh, And uh, the the trip would soon get really boring for me. And so to amuse myself, I would pester my sisters, which is, I think, the role of a brother. And soon my dad would be losing patience, and uh, I would hear that sentence coming from the front seat. You've you've all heard it. Uh, He would say, Steve, if I have to, here, finish with me. If I have to stop this car, uh, yeah, you're going to get it. And that would would sway me for a few miles. But then fear would wear off, and I'd be pestering my sisters again, knowing that I was provoking the wrath of a dad who was tired enough to take a vacation. Uh, But uh, So many people feel that way about God, that we are just wearing him down, and we're just in the backseat of life constantly wondering, have I done enough to provoke God to pull over and uh, let me have it? And you know, it's not just people outside of our faith that think like this. Uh, there are Christians who have this same sense that, yeah, he forgave me for my past sins, but I keep sinning. And uh, so at some point, his grace is going to run out, and I'm going to discover uh, his wrath. And this really re- uh, affects how a person relates to God. Their prayer life is dominated by, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll do better next time. And, uh, and then there's very little spiritual growth in that relationship. Uh, and so uh, the, the God that we're really talking about today, we're just going to go to the Old Testament and, and discover the God that Paul wrote about in Romans where he said, it's not God's anger that leads us to repentance, it's, it's his kindness. And God's goal is that we would repent and uh, enter into a, fam- a family relationship with him. And so uh, he is not going to be, he's, he's trying everything he can to not scare us away. But sometimes he's so patient, he's misinterpreted as being weak. And when people do get away with murder and lightning doesn't strike, they make the wrong assumption that either God didn't notice or God uh, doesn't care or that they won't ever be punished. And of course, that's a false assumption because as we will see next weekend, God is a God of righteousness, of holiness, of justice, and he will, in the end, make all things right. Uh, But that's for next weekend. This, this weekend, we're talking about God's mercy. And we're gonna open up our study in the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter five. Exodus five, with the Hebrew slaves serving in Egypt under Pharaoh, uh, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, nothing more than just fodder for the machinery of the Egyptian pharaohs, that cheap human labor that a slave brings as uh, the pharaohs are building Egypt's vast cities. But finally, it's time for the Hebrews to emerge as as a free people, a new nation. So God raises up Moses to confront Pharaoh and say, you need to free these slaves. But Pharaoh has very little respect for Moses or for his Jewish cousins. Uh, He has seen little evidence to cause him to fear the Hebrew God, who has allowed his people to be held captive for all these years forced to work dawn to dusk their whole lives under the hot Egyptian sun. So in Pharaoh's way of thinking, he and his Egyptian gods are way more powerful than this puny Hebrew God, and he's not the least bit afraid of him. Well, let's just read about it. Uh, Exodus 5, verse 1. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, and they said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. And to punish the slaves for even asking, Pharaoh made their work even harder. And uh, so then Moses cries out to God in verse 22, and you can read it there. Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on these people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on his people, and you have not rescued your people at all. And then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country." God also said to Moses, I am the Lord, you know. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I'll give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. That's some powerful scripture Uh, and when I read it, I get goosebumps because what I've come to realize is that uh, if you're listening to the Holy Spirit today, there are those that God is already talking to and I'm only on page four of a 12-page sermon. You're the person who's been crying out to God and not getting any answers. You're the person that started to wonder if he's hearing you, if he cares, maybe even wondering if he even exists. And God speaks to you like he spoke to Moses that day, saying, hey, listen, now, I'm a powerful God. I keep my promises. I hear you. I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will take you as my own. I will be your God, I will bring you to the place I promised you, I will give it to you. Just believe that I am the Lord. Friend, this is God's greatest desire. He's not out to punish you, he wants to bless you. He wants to free you from bondage. He wants to break anything. Any shackle enslaving you. He wants you to live as a free person in a new place, a promised land. And for some of us, that means he's ready to break that addiction to alcohol, painkillers, any substance, or the addiction to pornography. To others, uh, we're addicted to food or to shopping or whatever it is we think that'll make us happy. Some of us are under bondage to to, to a boss that we're working for. We can't imagine that we could just quit and get another job. We're afraid. Some of us are being abused by a mate, physically abused by a husband. And we've even convinced ourselves that God wants us to stay in that relationship and take those beatings. I say that husband is like Pharaoh to you. I say that boss is like Pharaoh to you. I say that that alcohol is like Pharaoh to you. This same God, the God of Exodus, stands ready as soon as you are ready to turn your back on Egypt and bravely walk out into a wilderness free. Won't you let him do that today? Stop allowing Pharaoh to intimidate you into serving him one more day. Let God confront the powerful forces that have held you down for way too long. Let God be your God and stop viewing him as someone who's mad at you or is trying to hold you down. Stop seeing God as angry or distant and let this series all summer long expose you to who he really is. A savior, a redeemer, a bondage breaker. He is not mad at you. He loves you. He holds grace in his hand. Plenty of grace for everyone in the room. Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate you responding. How about everybody else? This is our God, people. I don't think we think about this enough. All right, back to our story where Pharaoh refuses Moses' demands. This king has no respect for the Hebrews or their God. So God gives Pharaoh 10 opportunities to repent. 10 head-to-head confrontations with the Egyptian gods. And God reads everyone, uh, wins everyone, bringing the Egyptian gods down one at a time. And finally, the stubborn king taps out in the 10th plague when his own son is taken. Then in the final showdown at the Red Sea, the freed slaves cross on dry land, chased by Pharaoh and his army, who die drowning as the wall of water collapse over them. <clears throat> Moses' sister Miriam leads the infant nation in worship, Uh, of a God they really hardly know, and off they go towards Sinai, where God is waiting for them. Uh, On the way, he miraculously provides manna and water, takes care of their needs in the wilderness. On the way, he fights their enemies, the Amalekites, the fiercest of warriors. They defeat them, and 90 days later, they're standing at the base of Mount Sinai, watching their leader climb up uh, into the smoke and the fire as God is on top of that mountain, to meet with their leader. The unfortunate thing is, is Moses is up there a really long time, and the, <clears throat> this nation of freed slaves starts to worry that he's never coming back. So they, 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 they return to their old gods. They convince Moses' brother Aaron to melt down all of the jewelry that they had pilfered from the Egyptians that was supposed to be part of their inheritance to take to the promised land. They melt it all down, and uh, they create this golden Egyptian calf uh, that they can worship instead of the God that's on top of that mountain right there. God, God sees what's going on down in the valley and he tells Moses what's happening and he's understandably angry. So, in, so he says to Moses, get out of my way. I've seen these people. They're stiff-necked people. Leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and I might destroy them. Then I'll destroy them and I'll start over just with you, Moses, and I'll make you into a great nation. And what happens next is one of the most incredible conversations in the entire Bible. Because Moses single-handedly talks God out of destroying Israel. Oh Lord,' he says, "'why should your anger burn against your own people? These are your children whom you have rescued. You don't want the Egyptians to hear that you saved the Hebrews only to slaughter them in the desert. Turn away from your anger.'" Even if it's just for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you promised to make their descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and bring them into the promised land. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. If that doesn't blow up your brain, unbelievable. A God who allows one of his created servants, a human being, to change his mind. Later, Moses is back up on the mountain talking to God, and God reveals his nature to him. The Lord passed in front of Moses saying, "'The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, "'slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, "'maintaining love to the thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin.'" Here on top of this desert mountain, God reveals this other part of Himself to Moses. Israel has already seen God's power back in Egypt. Israel has seen God's ability to take care of them in the wilderness. They've been they, they they've been eyewitnesses to all this. But there's more to Him than raw power and provision from a distant God. Now, what God wants to show them His soft side, His relational side. He tells Moses, "I'm compassionate. I'm gracious." I'm slow to anger, I'm faithful, I'm abounding in love, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Like they have witnessed his ability to to punish a nation while saving a nation all at the same time, but they also need to know these parts of his his self. He's great, he's powerful, but he's also good. To say God is great focuses on his power. To say God is good focuses on his character. To say God is good means he's never disinterested in what's going on in your life. He's never neglectful, never absent, never careless, never petty, never vengeful, never spiteful, never mean. He's he's good in every way, always faithful. So God lays out this list and then the same list appears all the way through the Old Testament. Uh, David writes three different Psalms quoting this list exactly, like Psalm 86, where David sings to God, you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Or Psalm 103, where David repeats this thing, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. If we had more time, we would go next to Psalm 145 or Nehemiah 9 or the many other places where the Old Testament God is revealed to be merciful, patient, long-suffering. It's like these Bible authors knew that we would need to be reminded of God's nature as we work through Scripture, that he is full of compassion. Uh, The older Bibles, when it came to slow to anger, didn't say slow to anger. They said long-suffering. It's a beautiful word. The original Hebrew word long-suffering translates literally into two really weird thoughts, long or slow, and nose or nostrils. You could say God is, has slow nostrils. And that's just odd. But you have to have someone explain it to you. The Hebrews believed that if you could... It, 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 If you wanted to to see what someone was feeling, look at their nose. All right, I'll demonstrate it for you. You ready make a face at me? Ready to make a face at me? Some of you do this all the time anyway. Some of you do this a lot too. I don't know what that even means. Um, Give me your angriest face. Ready? Go. John, is that the best you can do? Your angriest face. Come on. Come on. There it is. There it is. Oh, Lynn, you have to live with that face? That guy. Angry face. Give me, Gordon, give me your angriest face. Oh, see, he even leaned forward. Yeah. Okay, you all did the same thing. You closed your mouth, you gave me this, and your nostrils flared. I can see see from here. And that's what the Hebrews believed, that if you were really mad, your nostrils were flared. So to be long-suffering means you were slow in the nostrils. And God, God's long-suffering. Now, it doesn't mean he doesn't get angry. It just means that he's infinitely more patient than you. God does get angry, but he's not an angry God. And when he gets angry, it's always justified. His anger is nothing like human anger. I get angry when you step on my toes. God gets angry when I step on someone else's toes. Our anger is quick. God's is slow. Our anger is out of control. God's is controlled. Our anger often produces a sinful response. God's anger produces a fair and righteous judgment. Our anger brings unbalanced retribution. God's anger is always balanced. And he's so slow to let justice roll down that even the saints cry out, How much longer? But still he postpones his wrath, always waiting, always giving more and more chances for people to turn towards him. And you know, <clears throat> we can thank God for that. Because we have all benefited from God's long suffering. Can I get an amen? Have you ever tested God? No. Had justice been meted out earlier, we wouldn't be here. But instead, his long suffering gives us an opportunity to gather once again and give people the opportunity to repent and turn toward him. His patience is always making provision for us to repent. Now you'll notice I've stayed in the Old Testament because I want you to see that this is the Old Testament God I'm talking about. I know of a seminary where the Old Testament uh, prof opens his classes by saying, okay, on this side of the board, we're going to do a list of all the attributes of the Old Testament God. And on this side of the board, we're going to make a list of all the attributes of the New Testament God. And then it never fails. You know, the New Testament God is patient and forgiving and compassionate and merciful. And the Old Testament God is holy and demanding and often angry. And these students, you know who they are? They are the future teachers of the church, which concerns me because those feelings about the Old Testament God are not accurate. They they, they don't reflect a person who has studied the entire Old Testament. And these feelings about the Old Testament God is what color what they will teach the church about him. For me, when I read the Old Testament, I see patience. I see mercy and I see Israel getting unearned grace. And then I go to the New Testament, and I see in Jesus a considerable amount of impatience. I see uh, his anger and harsh words leveled against Israel. Uh, Jesus didn't get mad that often, but he did get mad, just like the Old Testament God. True to Yahweh's character, Jesus got mad when when those guys were were happy to allow uh, this poor man to suffer because it's the Sabbath, you know, come back tomorrow and heal him, they said. Jesus was furious that day in the temple. Uh, I can imagine Peter saying to John, oh, look at the rabbi's nostrils. Look out, look, he's making a whip. He's, what's he gonna do with that? He was as hot as ever when he walked into the court of the Gentiles and there was no room for for non-Jewish people to come and worship because they'd turned that court of the Gentiles into into a flea market where they were buying and selling And the money changers were there it was all this big market that was profiting the high priest they were you know charging people considerable amounts of money just to worship god that made god mad you know made jesus mad his anger is always motivated by his love friends if you don't get angry from time to time i question if you really love anyone um if you see someone being exploited or harmed or in pain, it shouldn't move you and ask you, why is this happening? So when we see Jesus get mad in the New Testament, he's simply revealing the heart of the Old Testament. And when we see ourselves get mad at injustice, that means that we have allowed Jesus to take control uh, over us. The longer we serve him, the more like him we become. Slow to react to things that offend us, but more quick to react to things that offend justice or righteousness. When we act like that, we are demonstrating the image of God, the imago Dei in us. Now Proverbs talks about a person who's developed long-suffering. The long-suffering person demonstrates great understanding, Solomon says, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Show me a person who takes a long time to get angry, and I'll show you someone who is viewed as wise and self controlled. A person you can trust in a complicated situation. A problem solver instead of one who jumps in and makes things worse. Short tempered people always make things worse, and they have a lot of strained relationships around them. Proverbs 16 says it's better to be long suffering than it is to be a mighty warrior. Meaning God would rather you be patient than that you go in and, and, and dominate. Where we want to sing Onward Christian Soldiers, God is wanting us to sing Slow Down, Patient Leaders. As we mature in Christ, uh, we should see ourselves becoming less and less likely to get really mad really fast. And nothing matures a man uh, more than raising children. Children. Can I get an amen from the men? I, that Raising those three men tested my anger, and, and, and I brought out in me, uh, I found out that I had a temper when I was raising those kids. They're not perfect kids like your kids. My kids were a hot mess, all three of them, <laughs> especially when they hit those adolescent teenage years. And uh, nothing made me more mad than when they would sass their mom. Oh, I just hated that. You know, she's five foot two. They were all already taller than her, they would just come up and look down on her and tell her what was up. And I, I remember this one day, I walked into the kitchen. They probably all had been sassing her. And she was just taking it, you know, and just, and I felt like she needed to be defended, you know. And uh, Andrew said something. I don't even remember what he said, but I remember what I said. I, first of all, I just kind of pushed him across the kitchen. I was already out of control. Uh, anytime you get that physical with your children, you better watch out. You're out of control. And I pushed him across the kitchen. He's like, kind of shocked. I got him up against the refrigerator and then I started doing that thing where you poke the guy in the chest. Never do that to another guy. I poked him in that chest bone. And here's what I said. I quote the words of Pastor Steve Matz in the leader of Cornerstone Fellowship, spiritual giant. Here's what I said. I'm gonna kick your butt. I'm gonna kick your butt right now. And it was so ridiculous because I never, ever was violent with the kids. I was just out of control. Like, they, the, the sons knew that was it. That was, I wasn't going to go anywhere from there, but I, was, I had just backed myself into a corner. I'm going to kick your butt. And first of all, Kevin just starts laughing, falls on the floor laughing, and then he grabs Tyler, and they start mimicking me. Dad's going to kick our butt. Dad's going to kick our butt. <laughs> and then we all just started laughing. I was totally embarrassed. <laughs> For years after that, whenever I would start to get hot, the boys would all go, hey, dad, are you gonna kick our butt? (laughs) It's great, because now two of them are dads, and they're raising boys, and I just get to sit back and just watch it happen. I'll be (laughs) like, don't kick their butt. Don't kick their butt. And uh, Now, the thing is, that's funny, because they knew I would never do that. For some of you, that's not so funny, because... Those scenarios in your home played out differently. And when your dad got that mad, he took it further. And that's terrible. I'm sorry. It's probably taken you years to heal from that. And it's actually colored your view of God. Because you do think of God that way, that he's going to get mad at me and it's going to get pretty ugly. Well, that's not true. Your dad and God are two different people. God is slow to anger. And slow to anger is about wisely exercising self-control, knowing that self-control is always the better choice. You know, whenever, uh, as I've grown in this, this area of my own anger, whenever I start to, f- wherever, whether it's something that's going on at Cornerstone or something that's going on on 680 or whatever, um, the question, if, if I'm wise enough to just breathe for a minute, the question that comes to my mind is, am I in the position right now to do something good or something bad? Am I, am I in the position right now to, to uh, what, what, what would happen if I just let my anger control me right now? And what good thing would I forfeit that I couldn't get back uh, by uncontrolled uh, venting? So as we grow, even though we still get mad, we just don't allow ourselves to vent and explode in unhealthy ways. We control our reactions. And God is there to help us. You know, Galatians talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And and one of the fruit of the Spirit is is long-suffering. Another one is patience. We'll talk in a minute about how those are different. But I want to talk just for a second because James writes a really great, uh, in his book, he writes a really great verse, and he's describing his big brother, Jesus. You know, James grew up in the same household with Jesus. And he says, listen, brothers, here's what I want you to remember. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because man's anger doesn't accomplish God's righteousness, and that's one to memorize. Uh, Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, and that's easy to memorize. Just do it right now. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, and why? Because your anger doesn't accomplish what God is trying to accomplish his righteousness. So when you start to get mad, you say, is what I'm about to say or do gonna accomplish God's righteousness? And uh, boy, that can really help. And then instead of uh, venting, you can just vent it to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I, I need to pull away for a minute and let your Holy Spirit take charge of my uh, reaction. And the other thing is, the Bible talks about patience and talks about long suffering. Those are actually two different uh, things. Patience is always used in scripture to describe someone enduring a circumstance. Long-suffering is always used in scripture to describe someone enduring a relationship. And that's two different things. Patience is when you're in a situation where you've just got to hang in there. Uh, Long-suffering is when you're in an encounter or in a a relationship where you know it's it's really important for me to to be long-suffering here. Uh, patience is when life is tough. Long suffering is when people are tough. All right, good. I think that's enough for us today. We've re- we've hit that. But let's 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 just encapsulate the whole thing. Let's put all the pieces together. What have we learned? Number one, God does get mad, just not very often. And when he is angry, he's angry about something that's really important, and he doesn't quickly explode. In a blaze of fury, his nature is always delay the expression of anger and his anger is always in perfect control. Secondly, God is holy and he's just. He will eventually judge the world as we will talk about next weekend. But so far that hasn't happened. So far what we see of is God's incredible patience. And since he's not judging the world yet, we're not judging the world. God's got the longest nostrils in the universe. And that's a good, good thing. He's the very definition of long suffering. It takes him a long time to respond in anger. He postpones his judgment for one reason and one reason alone his love. God loves people that you have even written off, which is a good thing. He's always waiting until the last moment, giving that person every opportunity to repent of sin and receive mercy. Furthermore, and probably most important for us, the Bible clearly teaches that those who have put faith in Jesus are following and are following after him will never face God's wrath. Think about that. God is not mad at you now. And if you have put your faith in Christ, you will never face his anger. Now, how is that? that, How can that be true? Because of Jesus. Jesus. God sent his son Jesus to be the wrath-absorbing sacrifice in our place. Because of all that Jesus suffered, you and I will never suffer God's punishment. I told you at the beginning of the sermon that God is not mad at you. Now I'm telling you that God is never going to pour out his anger upon you. And Jesus is the reason that I can say that. If you put your trust in Jesus, you're safe from God's anger. And we can thank Christ for that. And it's a good reason for us to constantly be sharing about God's love with other people. Because we want to save them from the judgment. And then, since we know we're not going to face judgment, instead of fearing God's presence, we, we press into God's presence. Like Moses did. Like David did. The gospel is really, really good news. Paul even celebrates this. He says, God didn't appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that we may live together with him. But you really must trust that to be true. There are even people who are listening to my voice who are still subject to God's wrath because they have not put their faith in Jesus and allowed him to be the one that took that punishment for them. So I encourage you, if you can hear my voice, put your faith in Jesus. And don't wait, because you don't know how much time you have left. That's one of the most loving things I could ever say to you. Don't wait to follow after Jesus. You have nothing to lose. It's a beautiful thing. And you rest better, too, at night, because you just, whatever happens in this life, you're like, well, that's just this life and I'm gonna patiently endure the situations, and I'm gonna be long-suffering with the people. And before you know it, people will start being more patient with you as well. All right, I wanna pray for you, and I wanna really pray for three groups of people that have kind of been called out by this message. Uh, First of all, I wanna pray for the people who, for whatever reason, do kind of have that go-to of struggling to think of God being compassionate, and you often think of God being angry or mad at you or upset with you. And if any of you want to even raise your hand, let the people around you know, yeah, that's me. I, I tend to think of God that way. Maybe you were raised by an angry dad. Maybe, I don't know. Who are you where you, you, your go-to is kind of to be afraid of God? All right, so we're going to pray for you. We don't want you to be afraid of God. Secondly, we're going to pray for people that struggle to control your anger. And these are the folks that just say, yeah, that's me. Who are you that even recently, you really got mad? And you, it's just like, man, that was dumb who of us struggle to control our anger. All right. Good. Good. I'm pray for you. And then the last person I'm pray for is just the person that says, "Wow, there at the end you I don't know that I've ever really committed my heart to Christ. I've been hanging out at church. I've been thinking that this is making my life better, but in reality, this is a this is a conversation that I need to have with God where I repent of my sin and confess that God is my Lord and Savior and I I let Jesus be the one that uh, that is my that that, that is my buffer from God's wrath. All right, let me pray for those three groups. Ready? Here we go, let's pray. Father, I pray for those that have an improper view of you in that they think of you as being distant, angry. They think of their own lives as being, it's just a matter of time before God's gonna punish me. They even think when something bad happens to them that they think you're already punishing them. And help them to see through reading their Bible that that is not the case that life, the rain falls on the good and the bad, and that if they will just turn to you, that you're, they will never face your punishment, even for things they've really done that deserve it. Help them to start thinking of you as being a compassionate father, even if they have to redefine the word father in their soul. So Lord, we also pray for those of us that struggle to control our anger and Lord, there's many of us that do. And in this world, it just seems like everybody is so mad these days. So quick to argue, so slow to listen. And help us, even as we memorize what your brother James said, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because our anger is not going to bring about your righteousness. So help us to go into each confrontation, each situation saying, you know what? I'm going to be facing so-and-so today. I, I already know that they, that person pushes my buttons, and I just pray, Lord, give me extra grace for this encounter so that when I walk away, I can say, wow, I, I did. I represented God well there. and be proud of myself instead of having said and done things that I have to apologize for. And, Lord, we pray for the person that's exploring, following after you, and just... They didn't know it, but today is going to be the day when they say, I, you know what, I need to follow after Jesus, if for no other reason than to escape God's wrath at the judgment. But I also want to follow after Jesus because he loves me, and I, he created me, and I want to become like him. And so in following after him, repenting of my sin, turning and, 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 and walking close to him, I will become the human being that he created me to be. And Lord, we pray all these things for the whole congregation that this would be a group of people across the East Bay that correctly communicates who you are to this world and so repair the torn fabric of our society in every neighborhood, every zip code, every school, every workplace. We would represent you well and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Get out there and do it.